In times like these, being a citizen is a big job. Thank you for joining us to celebrate the virtues of self-rule and debate the state of our republic. Welcome to the Citizen's Prerogative Podcast. This is the voice of your nerdy host, Michael Piscatelli, and we are inspired by a co-host whose passion for our republic precedes him everywhere he goes, Raymond Wong Jr. Thank you, thank you. And you know, I almost wore a tank top today so I could have bare arms. This is episode number 58. We are in season three, and the title of this episode is Bare Arms for Militia's Sake. Not malicious sake, militia, plural, sake. <laughs> so if that gives you any indication, we're actually going to be spending today's time talking about the Second Amendment. So much fun. So exciting. Let's just kick it off with reading the second amendment because it's only 27 words it's one of the shorter amendments that we have um and it comes right off the heels of the first amendment which is all of our freedoms speech religion da, 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 da. the second amendment reads a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed What's interesting is we see this a couple episodes ago, we talked about the court and some of its extremities. Um, One of the things that it tends to do, what I associate, you know, I get so excited about Cathol because I grew up Catholic, so I know it intimately well, but I am familiar with all the other traditions. But what's what's interesting (laughs) um, in that case is that the, there's this term we call cafeteria, cafeteria Catholic, or I imagine there's cafeteria terminology for all the different denominations, but it basically means you just skim and you pick and choose what you want from the Bible or from any religious text. So you like, you, you want to make a point, you go through the Bible and you find the quote that makes your point because every point is made in the Bible. It doesn't matter right or wrong, left or right, up or down. Um, so we're starting to see our religious Supreme Court uh, very easily, happily doing the same thing. They love picking up one part of an amendment and ignoring the rest of it. They don't take all of the words. <laughs> These originalists, <laughs> they want to read the words, but they only want to read the words that they agree with or they care about or prove the point or the judgment as a, as a justice that they want to make. So this court tends to focus on, and you'll hear uh, people who lean into this ideology that they're They lean into this last half. Keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. But what they miss is the whole purpose, the whole reason we have arms and why. Why the right for us to have those arms shouldn't be infringed. And it's for the security of our free state, first and foremost. So we've really pushed into property, right? Like like there's this obsession with oh, my property, my, you are not a free state. Okay. You, you, you exist as a citizen, a member of this state that we all commonly own together. And and that's why regulation makes sense. That's why it absolutely, to me, makes complete sense that when you read out the entire wording, which by the way, the founders were extremely methodical about every single word chosen 
And I think it's quite clear. And it's and there's a reason why the right is not quoting the entire the entire amendment because it is not good news for them. It is not good news for their argument that we should allow people to run rampant and shoot randomly in the street at will. You know, having a gun to protect your building alone does nothing to secure the state. And add to that, historically speaking, you see the people that are most animated about collecting and showing their guns are the same people historically that have done mob violence in our country. Oh, didn't we just see that on January 6th? All right, so the original point of the amendment was about supporting a well-regulated militia. In the mindset of the times when it was written, our right to keep and bear arms is protected under law so that we as citizens are prepared for conscription. We are prepared to stand up and defend our colonies, our nation, our states from the likes of all the other imperial powers who want to take us back or put us under their thumb or whatever is going on. Like You have to remember, we just gained our independence not too long ago when all of this was written. This is and the third version of the Constitution, right? Native American invasion, too. Oh, so right, never mind, yes. never mind the people coming in from the coastline, right? We had an entire nation. Um, and again, we were the invaders in, in all technicality, right. uh, but yeah. we had a war, active, ongoing internal war with the Native Americans. Totally. We can't forget that. <laughs> We were uh, actively disputing and acquiring this territory as if it was the Russians taking over Ukraine. Unfortunately, mostly we are acquiring and then disputing, you know, after acquiring. You know, disputing, so very, yeah, very the people's right to be on that land after we acquired it. So complicated. I just like, well, that's a whole other episode. A whole other episode. So <laughs> back on topic. Yes, we needed guns. We needed to defend the state. In Boston, circa 1788 okay so this constitution was ratified in 1789 in boston circa 1788 the militia was already called the national guard i think that should sound familiar to most people we have a national guard it's the coast guard and and then the national guard is on land and then the military is something separate although the military directs the national guard it belongs to each state Etc. So it has been established, or it was established in 1636 for the protection of the colony in Boston. And it's now a fixture in all 50 states. You may find that they are generally well regulated. So when we use the word militia, or when the word militia is used in the Constitution, it's not some generic ephemeral thing that has no definition or is nebulous in any way. No, we had militias up until that point. It was a clearly defined, articulated, and understood thing. And in this case, it was the National Guard in Boston, as an example. So just in your mindset, we already had the National Guard. This is what we're talking about. The right for citizens to buy and hold weapons for private purposes, like self-defense, was read into the Constitution by the courts after the passing of the 14th Amendment. The availability of military-grade weapons for private use would not have been in the state's interest. After all, the idea of mob rule was a constant concern, and it was not common for, mar for farmers to own their own cannons. 
These arms were intended to be held for the militia, which were made up of the people. No farmers had cannons. And that's what we have now with these AR-15s. It's the equivalent of a cannon back in that day, in my opinion. So at this moment in our history, circa 2022, the profit motive has been allowed to run, a mom, run rampant, and the lobbies that stood to profit the most have done so. According to CBS News, gunmakers tallied a billion dollars in revenue over the last 10 years just from AR-15 sales to citizens. A billion dollars on AR-15 sales to citizens. For what? For hunting? <laughs> Self-defense against other people who have AR-15s? Well, if everybody doesn't have an AR-15, you're good to go. Sending about the same amount of money on average to the healthcare industry. So it's a billion over 10 years for AR-15s. They send about the same amount on average to healthcare out of citizens' pockets for each mass shooting event. It's a morbid relationship. So they earn a billion dollars by saying, uh, selling AR-15s. The American citizens spend a billion dollars taking care of the aftermaths of these mass shootings or cleaning up the Capitol after people have run it down. But ours is the only country in the world with more civilian-owned firearms than there are people alive to hold them, which means they're stockpiles. There are stockpiles in a lot of places, and I'm sure they're not well-regulated by militia. Or if they are by militia, it's not by American citizens' militia. It's not the National Guard. 120 guns for every 100 citizens, according to Bloomberg. Yemen, um, on this list of countries, how many, how many countries for or how many guns for people? Uh, Yemen is the only one that follows us. So we have 120 guns for 100 people. They have 52 guns for 100 people. <laughs> They're the next on the list. Canada in the north had uh, 34.7. France and Germany both had 19.6. So that's 20 guns per 100 people. Um, countries like Japan and Indonesia, the number goes down to less than one. We'll talk about why coming up soon. Well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna shy away from the idea that Japan has a little bit of an authoritarian like lineage Culture. this is yeah this is a country where you had to have papers to cross the nation okay like early like early ancient on you had to have papers to travel so this is a, it was a pretty tightly run state no surprise they've got high gun control to this day there's still a very conformance culture and it makes for a very clean tokyo and very orderly subways busy but orderly <laughs> On that note, let's go ahead and take a break. Here's a message from our sponsor, Citizen Do Good. Fulfilling a dream where all possess an intrinsic love for self-rule that is reciprocated with free speech and equal justice under the laws, Citizen Do Good values the promise within the Constitution and our nation's founding documents. Taking together, they form a framework and an operating manual for our republic that provides us with the means to change with the times. The time is now to deeply re-examine ourselves and our implementation of governance for the dawning of a new day. We are the proud sponsor of the Citizens Prerogative Podcast, a major partner in spreading the good word about civic love and the power of change for us all. 
At Citizen Do Good, we want to empower all citizens to participate in their republic in a reconstructive way. With that goal in mind, we need your help to stay on mission and grow this community. Please rate the podcast with five stars on iTunes through the app on the web or on your device. If you don't feel you can give us five stars, let us know why on our sponsor's Facebook page, Citizen Do Good. Also, make sure you join our newsletter at citizendogood.com. You'll get updates every couple of months on all of our antics and not just the podcast. Additionally, you'll receive the guide to good thinking for free. Feel free to share any suggestions you have directly through the Contact Us page. Thanks for your support. You know, going back to what you said about um, this idea that the well-regulated militia and Boston, it kind of got me thinking, which is is always interesting. The show always gets me thinking very aggressively because I think I want to not say anything stupid. So my brain is in a higher plane of thinking than it normally is <laughs> when I'm with you. But it's right now, It's I wonder if the founding fathers got this thing wrong, right? Because if you see, it's well-regulated militia. So one thing we know historically is that every state had their militia basically right Mm -hmm. boston was well organized they were the most reputable but i think every state had ragtag militias and in a sense i i think their main focus from what i'm reading into it is that they wanted to just make sure that each state didn't have to give up their militias so they could maintain their individual statehood because the 13 colonies were very some were very reluctant doing this right yes. they weren't sure it was going to work they they thought there would be failure and frankly some were more wealthy than others some had the money to pay for larger militaries right so there was different economic situations going on and i think this verbiage was accidentally trickled down to the citizenship on a large base but I think it was really just those powerful landowners who could afford weapons saying saying, okay, 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 we'll join in a union, but we can't give up our military for the security of each state. It's very clear. It, it seems very clear by what they were forming as, as, a, as a new system of government. That's awesome perspective because they were. They were all their own independent states. They had their own freedom. They could make their own choices. Now, as soon as we sign this document, we're giving away some of that autonomy. And they were very reticent to do that. We know why. (laughs) Uh, But you're right. um, Leading up to that, the colonies always had to defend themselves to the point you made earlier. So they've always, you know, they've always armed themselves and and had the idea of militia. And like you said, Boston just ended up being a little more well-regulated. It was ahead of the curve probably for that time. Hmm. Very interesting. I have to leave that thought and move on to our calls to action. So the calls to action, um, we're going to be laying out here some statistics, but the whole point of this is to to paint the, the picture that there is a light at the end of this tunnel. We do not need to live under this repressive regime of gun violence, um, which you know, concert, it's, I mean, it's a concerted effort against so many things, including civilization as a whole. I mean, I, I keep thinking that people are going to stop putting their kids in public schools because they're afraid of shootings and public schooling is going to go away and everybody's just going to get, you know, they're going to pull together their own resources and create their own little private schools. And I, who knows what the outcome of these situations, how far down the rabbit hole they can go, which is why it's important for us to recognize it as soon as possible and try and steer this ship in the right direction. So, 
let's talk about a few countries that have had to grab this bull by the horn, so to speak, and get it dealt with. I'm going to start with Australia. They dealt with their gun wrist exposure after a, uh, a massacre in 1996 at Port Arthur. 23 people were wounded and 35 were killed. They're all Australians. Some, some were international tourists. It was a tourist destination. So people from all over Australia were murdered in that 35. So it really touched everyone in the country. It wasn't just like Queensland or something. So it's a, it's a kind of a unique scenario because for us, it's pockets, right? We're getting killed by a thousand cuts or bullets um, slowly. In Australia, they had one mass event and it just created a wave, a movement where they were able to pass legislation. They banned semi-automatic rifles and shotguns. They mandated gun registration. They required a reason to buy a gun. And they established rules for supporting, uh, excuse me, for storing guns. So people at home had to have gun lockers. The results, you know, unfortunately we don't have a lot of data because this is kind of a one point in time, but there was a study. Um, and in that study, we saw a 65% decrease in gun suicides after one decade, for instance. Also, a 59% decrease in gun homicides in the same year. And there's only been one mass shooting since, 26 years later. I mean, it's been 26 years since they put these legislation um, controls in place, and there's only been one mass shooting in that window. Very effective. It was very difficult, though. The gun lobby in Australia was very strong, and they were not they were almost not successful in this because it was wildly unpopular, which is the same situation that we're in now. It's, it, it, Australia is a very interesting case because it's very similar to the conditions we're experiencing, except for our outrage being isolated to community by community. The suicide part of that statistic is notable um, because we know that preventing access to a method of suicide is an effective key to prevention. So this is in line with a marked decline in suicide by oven when the British switched from coal gas to less lethal natural gas. Suicides dropped in half after the switch in 1970. I don't know if I, I don't recall if I've talked about this on the podcast in the past, but um, the coal gas up until 1970, people would use in England, was cheap and dirty. And so housewives, all they had to do was stick their head in the oven. After a few minutes, they would pass away painlessly, silently, effortlessly. This gas would just kill you. So suicides were rampant. And as soon as they changed the gas over and it didn't kill people anymore, those suicides stopped. They didn't switch to guns. They didn't switch to knives. They didn't switch to pills. They just stopped. Suicide is a very specific thing. It's a point in time, it's an opportunity and a time of weakness. And that 60, what was it? 65% decrease in suicides in one decade is notable. Um, last thing on that is CDC published a report concluding, no surprise, that ready availability of firearms is associated with an increased risk of suicide in the home, period. Let's move on to the Swiss. I don't know if everybody's aware, I was not aware, but they love their guns. They love them. And they seem to have a healthy relationship with them. Obviously, Switzerland's a whole other country with a whole different set of things, but they speak a lot of languages, they're very diverse, they straddle a lot of countries in Europe, they still love their guns. They have the largest annual marksmanship competition in the world. 
Citizens are conscripted for two years of training and service in their military, which is comprised of local state militias. Their military-issued firearm is sent home with them, minus ammo, which requires a permit. Everybody gets trained. Everybody goes home with a standard-issue weapon, not an AR-15. And then you have to go get your permit if you want ammunition for that gun. Gun homicide rates are 20 times lower than the United States. They have controls like background checks, automatic weapons ban, and they require purchases to be registered. They love their guns and they get to have them within reason. This is one we've mentioned in the past, though. Uh, we have recognized, although we didn't have the details and I can say good, great job, Mike, for going back and getting us the finer details. But I know on a previous show, we have mentioned the Swiss as a model. Uh, we've mentioned them as a people that know what they're doing. And these people are awesome. I mean, you want to talk about uh, anything that's really, really butch. Talk about blowing, blowing up your own bridges and such. They've got some really interesting history there. And I just think that when you really peel back, America is not the most patriotic nation in the world, in my opinion. You're going to blow up your own bridges. It's pretty intense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we need to get we need to rally behind the idea of this experiment again. All right, a couple more points here. We're still we're doing relatively good on time. Video games. We love to hear that. We don't love to hear that, but we do hear a lot of it, I should say. Video games are not a factor. Okay, people will talk about, oh, these video game violence. That's why kids are shooting up schools. Mm, there's no evidence for that. The, the action here is to move on from this red herring. The reason why we call it up as a call to action is because it is a red herring. Video games are not the problem. Evidence shows the issue is directly related to the availability and access to guns. That is the data. We're going to use Japan as an example here. Japanese are only outspent on video game sales by the U.S. and China. Now, China has way more people than we do. The U.S. has more disposable income, I suppose, or the care to dispose the income on games. I'm not sure. But anyway, they're up there with us. They do not allow private gun ownership. The law states essentially that no person shall possess a firearm. They do make exceptions. Um, they're few, and they operate under an intrusive bureaucratic regime. As a result, they only have 0.3 firearms per 100 people, less than a third of a firearm per 100 people. They've only had four gun deaths in 2020 for 125 million people. The U.S. in the same time had 45,222 gun deaths. I didn't keep the note in here, but anybody who was paying attention to the news, Abe was recently assassinated in Japan, and that was a homemade firearm. person had to make that gun at home. As citizens, it is our prerogative to elect representatives that have the backbone to enact such legislation if we, as we've discussed here. We need to make up for lost time. We should consider going even further than what we've seen. We should increase the minimum age for ownership to 21. We should require periodic mental health evaluations where changes in status could affect access to guns, especially because we don't provide health care to all of our citizens. So how are we to know anything about their health if we don't assess it? And since children potentially have access to these weapons at home, as we've seen time and time and mass shooting again, we should invest in their mental health care 
and monitoring for our common good. I mean, everything else we talked about, weapons, lockers, bans, take it, take it. We'll take it wholeheartedly. We're adding on, you know, 21, mental health, et cetera, et cetera. Because in our country, we have a keen need for that to alleviate this problem. And on that note, that's going to round out our call to action. I mean, I think you heard it loud and clear. It's kind of back to voting. But more importantly, how do you know who to vote for? Only if you know what they should be supporting, what's in all of our best interests, especially each of us as citizens. And so that's why we bring home some of these components around gun control and how important it is. And no matter what amount of gun control we put into place, short of amending the Constitution, the Second Amendment isn't going anywhere. Everything is just fear. So much fear. I think if you're trying to decide, you know, who's the right person to vote for, uh, I, I believe that it's very easy to see, right? If if it, if the ads, because they're everywhere, you know, try not to tune them out, like listen to them just a bit, right? And what do they have in their ads? Is there substance? Are they picking up a gun and shooting it? So I guarantee if they're wasting time picking up a gun and shooting it, there's no war on the Second Amendment, actually. There's nothing going on right now. Um, what's happening is normal in the evolution of how people want to live. So people, in the, they're just trying to distract you saying, hey, I'm trying to trigger you. No, no pun intended. But they're trying to trigger you and say, hey, you vote for me off of this one tiny emotion. They're playing off of something that's core to your being. And you should you should be cognizant of that manipulation and push back. You should be cognizant of that manipulation and say for yourself, hey, you're wasting all this money trying to convey what message to me? What am I supposed to take away from that? I already know guns. Yeah, great. You, you've made that clear. 25, you've spent millions of dollars. And the only thing you have to say is I am pro-guns. Where's the substance? What's going to change material and materially in your life is what you have to look for in these ads. And it's in there. It, it is in there. I, I, I tune them out. I tend to. Um, but I, I think that during this time more than ever, it matters what people are saying. 100%. And we've not made this point a lot, but none of us should be hung up on perfect. And none of us should be hung up on one issue. And I know there's a lot of single issue voters out there, but that's, mm, I'm going to insult some people, but it's pretty lazy. Life is not only consisting of one factor. No one's decision should consist of only one factor. That's entirely unreasonable. And I'd say have some, have, you're worth it. And I'd say this a lot to people like mm -hmm. you deserve your voice. You do matter. Like, I know that the system has been designed to kind of tell you like, oh, you just, you're in your place, live it and, and kind of die. I, I don't think that's the future. I, I think that every citizen, every breath, every individual, breathing individual matters and should be protected. That's, believe that to my core. On that note, I think we're going to call it a wrap. We have been your hosts. Thank you to Mr. Raymond Wong Jr. And thank you, Mr. Piscatelli. This truly hasn't been a shot in the dark. <laughs> it's been something, that's for sure. 
For information on this and other episodes, head over to citizendogood.com and click on podcast. While you're there, head up our contact us page and leave a comment. We'd love to hear from the community. Special thanks to you, our listeners. We save the best for last. You are the best and you have been for years. Thank you for your support. We know it's painful and we love you. Intro music sample from OK Class by Ozzy Jock under Creative Commons license through freemusicarchive.org. Other music provided royalty-free through Fisley and Studios, Inc.